0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be doing a little bit of a preseason recap, just the main takeaways, as well as the final roster. They have made all the cuts necessary, got the final 15 plus the two two two-way contracts, And the OKC Blue has been bolstered with a lot of guys. So I'm going to be talking about both teams and a little bit of what you can expect for them. And to top it all off, got a really good deal from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But first, just tackling the preseason. I mean, we all saw the games, four games. Some teams were doing five, but OKC only got four of them. They got one win at home against the Denver Nuggets and then they almost closed out for their second game to go a clean 2 and 2 and then Marcus Howard turned into James Harden hit threes whenever he wanted to called bank pretty much for game put salt in the wounds there so Denver got a free win that was their only win of the preseason but the Thunder walked out at 1 and 3 and I don't really think record really even matters in preseason like you could check I think the Lakers went winless they might have got one win the bucks they lost their opener, obviously beat the Thunder. The Nuggets, you know, they lost a game when they had Jokic. Everyone was there. They lose to a Thunder team that has their base roster, but they don't have an MVP. They don't have Michael Porter Jr. So it's just weird what happens. It's a lot more of a, a learning uh, deal when it comes to preseason. For a Thunder team that I believe their average age isn't even above 24 years old. If it is, it's barely above that horizon, but they're extremely young. They bring in guys a lot of which are rookies for these contract spots, and they're able to get a win and make things competitive for that last game as well. So it was very exciting. I kind of wanted to just break down kind of the top three takeaways from me because you could go down the line of every single person. I think we saw, for the most part, what went down. I just want to talk about the main things that I saw, though. And the number one thing is Josh Giddy is legit. He walked in to the Thunder Camp really... Not as an enigma, per se. I think people saw the tape. They saw how good of a passer he was. But the speed was not there. The shot was not there. Too many question marks for there, uh, were there. And I think for most, you know, you looked at a guy like Jonathan Kuminga. You looked at a guy like James Booknight. For one reason or another, you look at Kuminga's athleticism and his potential shooting ability, say that's going to pair better with SGA. His ceiling is far higher than Josh Giddy's. Or if you're on that side of James Booknight, James Booknight was... Not shooting particularly well when you look at the scorecards, but he had a pretty good knack at hitting from all three levels, and that's exactly what he did for the Charlotte Hornets during the preseason. So those two guys were the front runners. Josh Giddy was a curveball pick, and a lot of people did not like it, now off the summer league, you didn't get to see anything from him, now the one play he did have was nice, you know, gets right to the basket, gets a two-hand rim grazer, then obviously the ankle, you know, goes a little sideways, and he was done after five minutes, so kind of still that clean slate with him, people were pretty optimistic though, I don't think you could have expected what he did across those four games, he went out there, I think he was the best player. He was better than SGA, I would say, by numbers and then just by his role on the team. Like He was the orchestrator, averaged 13.5 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists, playing 29 minutes a game, and he did everything he needed to, even when it came to shot making. Shot 52%, and then the big one was shooting 40% from 3, and the clip is not there right he was only out there taking two and a half a game so that's what 10 threes shot four of 10 through four games but when he was left wide open looked like he was pretty confident we didn't get to see many uh contested three-point shots we saw some contested mid ranges where he took it off the dribble and he made people pay there was one at the BOK center that was legit 21 foot shot just right in the face of his defender And that wasn't even his big deal. The big deal wasn't the offensive side, him hitting those shots. Now, yes, that was a big breakthrough. That was the biggest question mark, but also the ability for him to get inside. And a lot of his inside work, at least when I first looked at the tape and when I saw him, I mean, he's not very fast. I didn't think he'd be able to take someone one-on-one at the NBA ranks, at least right now. If that were to happen on a consistent basis, I would have been astonished, but he was doing it in the preseason and he didn't even need screens some of those times. I thought that he would be an effective pick and roll player, but he would need a high ball screen and, you know, to the Thunders credit in their favor. I mean, they've constructed the roster to where even if Josh Giddy couldn't take someone one-on-one without a screen you know, they might even work better with the screen anyways. That's how they run things. SGA always got screens when he drove inside, oftentimes led to a pick and pop for like a Horford or Muscala. If not, he'd take a layup or kick it out to the corner, right? So that's something you can kind of compensate for, but Josh Giddy had it in his bag to create for himself in the fast break and in the half court when it came down to creating shots and creating looks even without a body up there to set a screen. Now, when it came to screens, he looked even better. You saw that laser of a pass he threw to Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I think it was in the first Denver game where he sneaks inside. He's right around the restricted area. And then maybe like a foot or two in front of him is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He's tight uh the baseline almost like he's almost out of bounds slips right there. You know, Josh Giddy had no business making a pass. He's really just looking right at the rim. He has a defender right in front of him. He should probably just go for a contested layup. And that's what every player in the NBA probably would be doing. But for whatever reason, Josh Giddy, he just knifes this bounce pass through with a lot of force on it. I don't know how he got the force on it given the space. Um, but he gets it off beautifully to Jeremiah Robinson Earl for the assist. And that's just kind of how things were for Josh Giddy. I think that was the best passing play, but there were so many. Uh, you really can't even count them. You know, I mentioned in the BOK game, he had that inbound pass where it was almost like a scoop pass over the head cross court. He shouldn't have thrown this ball. It was in the fire of everybody, but it somehow got to the right or the left wing and they were able to make something out of that play. And then there was a lot of cross-court passes that he was throwing. And you know, there were even like some chain shots where he'll go up for a mid-range jumper and then he's gonna throw it. Not just to you know a teammate maybe right behind him or something. That's the paint. He's shooting it at the left wing and kicking it out to the right corner like like it's nothing. You know, and and that's just not common for people, much less a 19 year old who's the second youngest player in the NBA. So he just looks special as a ball handler you know, he looked like a point guard, you know, that was one of the deals, like, how's it going to work next to SGA, and we didn't get to see all that much of him and SGA kind of working together, but, you know, if SGA wasn't here, you could confidently say, hey, let's run Josh Giddy as that primary ball handler, at least for the time being, we'll see how the sharing works, between SGA and between Josh Giddy. it's going to be something that I think will be one of the major storylines of the season uh, just because you know Giddy was so so impressive with the ball in his hands uh, but also you know that's going to take away from SGA who was one of the top finishers in the league last season so it'll be that constant battle but Obviously, the saving grace and that silver lining is hey, is, you know, if Josh Giddy's able to hit those wide open catch and shoot jumpers, does it really matter? It probably doesn't because Josh Giddy's going to hit those wide open shots. People are probably going to sag off on him just based on his shot, based on, you know, him not shooting particularly well in the NBL. He can kind of get that underdog role, maybe like a Lou Dort had in his rookie campaign and even last season, too, to where people aren't going to respect him and he's going to be able to benefit off of that. And once you start closing out, Josh Giddy is nine, very good at handling the basketball as we've seen. He can take it right inside. He can penetrate. He can just start things over with the pass. So it becomes very complex if he gets that jumper down. Obviously, you can't check it right now but those seeds were definitely planted when he shot 40% over the course of those four games. So Josh Giddy was definitely number 1 for comparison SGA he averaged 10 points, had 2.3 rebounds and 4.7 assists. So so Giddy won in all three of those major columns and he almost got a triple double like twice, you know. I think at the BOK he was one rebound and two assists off and that happened twice. I can I can confidently say that. So Yeah, he was scary. I put him over SGA. Obviously, SGA, he was in a bit of a different situation, right? Because we know him. He's a star. He just got a maximum contract. You kind of just throw him out there for a little bit. They didn't even play him. For the final game, and even in the last one, you know uh, they were playing him, but it's one of those things where management kind of takes key So he only played 21 minutes in comparison to Giddys 29. You don't really look too much into preseason stats because obviously there are people like a Marcus Howard, for example, where he'll drop 31 points, but is he going to drop 31 points for the Nuggets? uh, Consistently, yeah, probably not. I think he's going to be a bench guy at best, even though he is a pretty good shot creator think he could do some damage off of a bench, maybe, but yeah, he's not going to be starting for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, anyways, though, yeah, Josh Giddy was number one, clear-cut the best, not just rookie, but best player on the team. If you want to expand it to rookies, he probably still is one of the top two or top three guys, so if you want to make a bet, you know, like a DraftKings Sportsbook bet on Rookie of the Year, Josh Giddy has been really underlooked to this point. I'm assuming the odds are going to kind of let him rise a bit in the rankings, but I I've seen him package next to Sangoon a lot and Sangoon's like the seven or eight guy uh, on most major sites. So, you know, maybe Giddy can rise up the ranks. Yes, he's not in a winning system, even though obviously the culture here is amazing. They're not going to be winning a ton of games to where he's going to have all the media attention on him, but he'll probably garner some decent stats throughout the season. And he is going to have that major role just because of the current state of the franchise but Giddy was the first takeaway obviously second one's got to be Lou Dort because you go into this preseason obviously you think of Josh Giddy, you think of Trey Mann potentially too but you also think of SGA just getting that max contract finally back from the plantar fascia injury he's going to be the star but he only had 10 points the dude who led the team in points was Lou Dort and he didn't play in Tulsa Uh, honestly I don't really care right like I'm looking at those three games and in those three games he was an absolute sniper averaged close to 15 a game 14.7 to be specific with it had 1.7 rebounds and 1.3 assists on the defensive side it wasn't like he was hoarding a ton of stats 0.7 steals so I guess he had two over the course of his three games but the big impact was on offense uh, clearly and this is a main deal, and this is why I want to highlight it, because you need to have off-ball threats for this to work out. You can't have Josh Giddy, who we still don't know about, uh, being one of the main ball handlers, and just have guys that can't shoot around him, right? Like, that's why they got Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that's why Isaiah Roby's kind of in the mix, too as a center they want to have a stretch four they want to have the stretch fives they want to have those playmakers but to make it all work you have to be able to be perimeter threats as well and once you start stacking the team with maybe two different guys who can't shoot in a starting lineup it's all going to start falling apart because then you see teams making adjustments that's when sga gets doubled that's when giddy is left wide open a basely if he's not feeling it and that's when problems are created that's when runs are created on the opposite side and that's ultimately how you start losing these games so you need to have the consistent three-point shooters Lou Dort turned into one last year shot like 34% shooting like five six threes a game I think he was either first or second in terms of three points uh three-point shots attempted per game but he goes into this one and he's the clear-cut number one guy from downtown averaged 5.3 attempts a game and shot 62 point five percent so just doing a little bit of mental math here i believe that is what 10 out of 16 that he shot over the course of those ones and those are shots that are coming off of just face up looks the majority of them i'd say came off of just face up looks like not a ton of contests just him lingering around the corner of the wing and just reaping the rewards of amazing passes from the guards, because there were some great passes to be shared around, and I think the Bucks one was the major example of this, has 15 points in that first quarter, finishes with uh, 19 by halftime, then he gets clocked out, but I mean, that was serious business, that's where he's shooting four of four, where everyone's sagging off on him, he's just hitting them swoosh after swoosh, like, it, it looks identical, the shots, look the same. You compare them. That's going to be in a YouTube compilation of just like identical plays in the NBA. You see people get picked up at the same time. Look at Lou Dort's jumper in that Milwaukee Bucks game because it was that consistent. It was consistent the entire way for his preseason. And I think it's going to continue once we start going into the regular season as well. And that's scary because we saw at the end of the season, Lou Dort is not just a guy who's going to stand around at the perimeter. He's a guy who's going to get down and dirty. He's looking to penetrate, and he's going to take some contact and still score around the basket. If you're trying to sag off on him, that's fine. He's going to take the three-point shot, and what we know now, I'm going to say it's going to go in. But if you start getting close, if you have to try to close out on him, he sees you doing that, you can just step right around you. He's not the fastest guy, but he's sure as hell strong. He's going to get around you, kind of muscle you, maybe back you down from behind, and then create a really good look around the basket, and because of his frame, he's able to go up against those centers on offense and on defense, and it can draw some fouls in the process to where he gets to the charity stripe, and with that new and improved jumper of his, you know, the free throws are gonna probably go in at a pretty good clip as well, so he's turned into that three-level scorer, it's been an evolving story for the last year, but... This is just proof that the product we saw last season was not a fluke at all. So I'm pretty confident in Lou Dort's scoring ability. He averaged 14 a game last year, which I believe was second only behind SGA's like 23.7. So yeah, he was one of the top dogs last year and I expect it to carry on. And that's that's huge because like I said, you're going to need some shooters and Lou Dort definitely is one of them going beyond just the individual things though. I want to talk about the storylines and I want to talk about maybe the concerns we're going to maybe talk about a little bit more than other things, right? And one of them I kind of talked about the SGA Josh Giddy deal where I think they're going to be forced to exist like even if Josh Giddy can't shoot and there are problems there, Mark Dagnall's not going to like relegate him to the bench or at least he shouldn't. Maybe for like a couple games, sure, but I think they're just going to have to learn together because obviously SGA, he is that cornerstone, but Josh Giddy could be one of them because uh, he's a very special player. But anyways... You know, beyond that one, I think the one that we've all known, and it's just been on the surface. Like, it's not a hot take whatsoever. It's just the center position, and I still don't think they figured it out. They didn't have it figured out last season. uh Passed Al Horford, obviously. You got rid of him, and then there's Mike Muscala. And if it weren't for Moses Brown just turning into Shaq in the G League bubble it wouldn't have had a solution immediately. Like he was in there, dominated, got pulled out by March. That's around the same time, um, that Al Horford was just getting shopped around. Before that point, you had Isaiah Roby at the five, not really much other, um, protection there besides like a Muscala, but Moses Brown came in. They were able to get Tony Bradley from the 76ers, and they did have the band-aid on to where it wasn't that big of a deal last season like you had Roby you had Tony Bradley you had Moses Brown and Mike Muscala didn't play uh, but he was still there kind of as that support piece now you look at this team again and they're almost in the same state except there's not any true centers anymore for the most part Derek Favors i'll say that he works as like a makeshift center you know with utah and even his brief time with the pelicans like he was playing four and five and he has that build he has that play style a lot of his game and really all of his game is just centered around feasting in the paint and then also getting rebounds setting screens too goes into play there so i'll say he's a center right mike muscala he's all right as a center, like, he was also a makeshift center, just like Derek Favors, I think Favors plays a little bit more into that actual archetype, though, Muscala's a good stretch five, and he works for the system, I don't know how high he is on that pecking order, though, like, he was great in the preseason, don't get me wrong, uh, he was the fourth leading scorer, like, he averaged above 10, 10 points a game, a lot of it was coming from downtown as well, but, as we know, like, yeah, he can be very good, but they're looking to get the young guys a lot of reps. And they have Isaiah Roby still on this team. They also have Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who is in a bit of a positional battle, I'd say with Isaiah Roby for some of those five minutes. And then past that, you go into the kind of the drawing board where you're thinking, hey, maybe Bays can play at the five, Poku can play at the five. I don't really think it'd work out to be honest with you Um, but there's always those options so there's a lot of different pathways but they really haven't honed in on one um, just yet and I'll say this I think if they're looking to win games you probably want to start Derek Favors and you want to have Derek Favors out there for the majority of the contest because they do need a traditional center they need that veteran piece and Derek Favors does both for them and one of the beauties about favors and kind of a surprise we saw he had a decent face-up mid-range game which is almost a necessity to play with this thunder offense at this point like you know he can't hit the threes that's okay he makes up for it because the inside game but the mid-range game is also big too um so that made him okay on offense and then on defense clear cut the best guy you're gonna find because whether it's muscala jeremiah robinson or isaiah Roby. They just don't really have the frame, and maybe Muscala does, uh, but definitely not Robinson Earl or Isaiah Roby. They can stand up against some types of centers, and this is something I'd say more about Roby just because we haven't seen Jeremiah Robinson Earl in enough action yet, but Isaiah Roby, he cannot defend against those post guys. Like, an Ennis Cantor, he's going to drop a 20-20 against Isaiah Roby, and I think it almost happened whenever they faced the Blazers last season. I don't know if Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to do much more of an impact than that. I think when you play those maybe more modern centers where a lot of their shots are taken from the three-point arc they can stand up against them and it's not going to be the major blemish that would take you down in a game but when you have someone who's just going right out there using their sheer power and force that's when they might get out muscled and that's when things could get bad where there's not really a solution to it because if they're the ones playing center and you don't have those true centers Well, you're kind of just out of luck. You just got to hope the other guy just gets tired. And Derek Favors, he can put a stop to that. So Favors is obviously the best choice, but he's also 30 years old and he's kind of in that state like Horford and Kemba where I would think he's in... Constant communication with the GMs and all that uh, in efforts to maybe get a buyout or a trade by the trade deadline just so he can contend. And that's just kind of how everything works around the organization here. So, yeah, I think that you do want to give that perfect balance to where Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Isaiah Roby get to play. But you also do want to have those reps where there is a genuine center because. I think in a couple seasons, and maybe even in this upcoming draft class where there are a lot of good fives, the Thunder might want to actually get a traditional one, and then you're going to start seeing the real form of what this team might look like in a couple of seasons, so it's not fixed yet, it's going to be one that probably will not get fixed, there's going to be some games where points in the paint numbers are just off the charts for the other side there's going to be games just like maybe the Bucks one uh, was where the paint just isn't really covered for the majority of times and penetrations and backdoor cuts are just going to be killing them for 48 minutes but it's going to be some growing pains here and ultimately I think giving Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl some of those reps is going to be big and also you're going to be able to see even more time where they might turn into that positional matchup to where the other team might have to fold and bring out one of their power forwards because they might get hot from three or they're just going to be too quick when it comes to penetrating uh, and driving inside. So it's kind of a two-sided thing here. Definitely do think though the center, it's not uh, not fixed yet. But those were kind of the main three things that I saw from the team. We're going to see a lot more of that And we're going to see a lot more from the 17 guys who have made the final roster. And I'll tell you guys all 17 who made it in a brief moment. But first, I want to let you guys know a little bit about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. Here's what you have to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets bets. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving right along to the final roster. You have 15 full NBA scale contracts that everyone can divvy up. And then there's the two two two-way contracts. The Thunder started out with 20 guys for their training camp team. They had to shed three off the books in order to make the cut for the regular season. So three guys had to be gone. And there were a lot of different transactions that transpired over the past week. I'm gonna talk about all those, but a lot of them were OKC blue related. I'm just talking about the Thunder ones. And the first one came last week on Monday. Only got to see him for all of four minutes. Rob Edwards was the first to go. Got rid of him. You know it makes some sense. I talked about it in the uh, the podcast, I think it was the double header that I did, but Rob Edwards, I mean, he is deserving of a real look, I think a two-way contract probably suits him well, just because he's such a good scorer, he's not a guy that really fits the bill for your typical G League player, you know, and I've said it about maybe like a Josh Hall, for example, with Josh Hall, you look at him, he's like a six-foot-nine point forward pretty much, um, and we didn't see enough reps from him for me to establish like his game, but he just looked like a really interesting prospect, didn't seem like he'd go undrafted and then get a two-way contract. But Rob Edwards, I mean, he just had to climb up the ranks, and I think for him going undrafted uh, last season, it kind of made some sense, but he joins the blue ranks, and he is just dominant. He was hitting any shot he really looked at, and he was kind of that sixth man of the year. Uh, I could say that pretty confidently. Like, he was not missing shots all that often, and, you know, by the end of it, it seemed like he had to get a contract from somebody he did not get one after the g-league bubble just kind of didn't sit around i mean he was out there training and it paid off because he joins the summer league team for the thunder and he's like the leaning scorer almost he had two 23 point outings that was the highest that you saw from anybody on the roster and he does it twice which is pretty damn remarkable uh, and then in that finale like that third quarter he looked like an all-star he looked like marcus howard did this week like where you know he just strolls up he's clearing the court he's getting the ball and he's just putting in work didn't matter if it was a three a mid-range or a layup he was hitting it so he's a very good three level scorer uh, but they already had like 10 guards and he's 24 so I don't know if the minutes would have been there for Rob and yeah they had to cut him I wish he was there for the final games though would have loved to see Rob Edwards playing in person but After that, you kind of just had that resting period where you played the Nuggets two times and you were able to learn a little bit more about this team. And the cuts then came soon after. You had that Nuggets game, the final, uh, where they lost in the heartbreaker. And then DJ Wilson was cut. And with DJ, I don't think he was performing that well in his minutes. But you got to keep in mind, like, he wasn't getting many shots. And the same goes with Rob Edwards. Everyone who got cut, for the most part, didn't get... Uh, a fair shot I would say but with DJ Wilson at least he broke double double digits in the minutes column like he averaged 20 or he averaged 12.5 minutes across two games he just didn't really have any remarkable plays like when you look at it I think his best play was probably a post move that he made in the final Nuggets game this was in like crunch time this is do or die and he gets right around the basket. He's posting up kind of a smaller defender, but just makes a beautiful post spin. And he looks to make like an up and under move. But he just fumbles the ball and it goes out of bounds. Now, the setup was great. Final result was pretty bad. And I think that kind of tells you the story. Like, he had the opportunities, he had the shots, but they just were not going in for him. And when you don't play enough, you know, you get a couple bad breaks and you get a bad conclusion. You get that bad rap on you. Um, but. You know, maybe he gets another shot. I don't know if it's with the blue, with somebody else. He just needed to prove that he was a stretch big. And to be fair, I don't really think we got to see much of it from him. He shot one of five from distance and that was about it. He could have done better in the final game. But, you know, I do think you look at more of like the training camp practices making decisions like that but I'd say that was an obvious option I didn't think DJ was going to make the team I think Rob Edwards also was in that same boat but then you got down to 16 NBA standard contracts and you got in this little battle this is something that I talked about on the site this is also something that I've talked about on the pod I thought one of the guys that might have made it was Mamadi Daikite and for him to make it it wasn't about outclassing the centers the guys like Amuscala or Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Isaiah Roby, because look, he could have looked amazing, but you were not going to shed Roby, you weren't going to cut Robinson Earl, and you weren't going to cut Mike Muscala, because Muscala, he's that veteran leader that has to stay, Isaiah's playing 3-5, through and Robinson Earl's playing either the power forward or the center spot, and he might even drop down to the small forward again, so it's the versatility aspect that kind of made him um, not expendable, per se, but it did kind of open up some options, so if he was dominant, you probably could have made room for him, but also, if he was just alright, you probably could get by with just playing with Robinson Earl and Roby at those five minutes that he would have had, but he didn't even really get a chance, he injured his hip, he like broke it in the middle of the preseason against the Bucks, Um, and that was kind of all she wrote for Mamadi Daikite, so he only got to play two games I thought he played well I think inside he was a force he was probably a better one I would say than um, Robinson Earl was at least just because when you're right down below the basket he was getting some nice blocks pin down block was in the mix too gotta look at the three I think he hit like one (laughs) throughout it but that's not a big enough sample of course he needed to have a lot of reps though and the injury was just crushing so for the only real guy that could have been out, it was Gabrielle Deck. Um, Even though I liked him, I thought he wasn't even bad in this preseason, honestly. But it would have just been because, hey, you know, you you can make guys like Roby and Robinson Earl dip to the three and the four, and then Deck, he is expendable, just like Mamadi could have been. They opted to get rid of Mamadi Daikite, and... It does stink a little bit because I do think he would be an all right role player, especially for a team like this where they are looking to get more of the more uh, athletic bigs and he definitely is one of them, but he broke his hip like that's going to take him out for a while and I almost think it'd be better to. Wave him and then keep him on the blue roster maybe you end up upgrading a guy or someone is traded at the deadline then there's the open roster space you bring on Mamadi for the 15-man roster and hopefully he's at a point where health-wise he's good to go or he's pretty close uh, because you know breaking your hip that's going to take you out for a decent amount of play so it just made sense from a health aspect um, as to why he got waived. He's going to get 100K in partial benefits, and then he should probably be on the blue team unless he signs elsewhere, which if he does, it makes sense. Like he is a pretty damn good player. He got claimed off the waivers, and that doesn't happen too often. So whatever path he takes, he'll probably be successful one way or another. It was kind of expected that he would be the final guy though so that brings you to the final 17 and I'm just gonna go position by position here so at point guard you have SGA there's Ty Jerome there's Trey Mann you can throw Teo in that category maybe Vit Crudgy as well but they are definitely stacked in that position so that's why guys like Rob Edwards for example didn't really have a major shot of making the team but he still got good reps in regardless so you are just really stacked there like I said and then at the shooting guard spot I'm putting Josh giddy here just because that's where he's played at least most of the preseason and then Aaron Wiggins is also in that category so between the point guard and the shooting guard spot you already have seven different names and you can really stretch it out if you want to like I've said 10 before you know if you look at the secondary positions it's going to go up to 10 but that just kind of tells you how many different positions this Thunder team can play. But moving on to the three, you have Lou Dort, Kenrich Williams, and Gabrielle Deck. Also have to keep in mind Paul Watson Jr., who is a another wing that can maybe slide down to the two as well. So that's where you're looking at there. And then at the front court positions, at power forward, you have Baisley, Pokashevsky, Mike Muscala at the center. You have Derek Favors, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Isaiah Roby. So the clean cut mix, if you're trying to make it three all the way, you know, first, three, uh, first string, second string, third string for all five positions, you probably do SGA, Jerome, and Mann at the point guard spot. It's going to be tricky in terms of where Man, Jerome, and Tao kind of fit in on the bench. But that's where I have it. I think of the two, you look at Giddy, Maladon, and Vit Crunchy as kind of that dark horse candidate. I'll be talking about him in the near future. At the three, you know Dort's taking 30 minutes a game. Kenrich Williams, we didn't see him in the preseason, but I think it's pretty obvious he will have a, a place on this team. Dagnall's mentioned it, like Kenrich potentially being a leader. I think Kenrich probably wants to stay on the roster. He could have left, um, I think, during the trade deadline. Didn't. I think he'll have another strong season in him. And then you have Deck, of course, who he just did a little bit of everything, I'd say, in this preseason. He did have some mishaps with the basketball But that's why he's the third string. At power forward, you have Bays and Poku. They're still going to have that butting of heads, maybe, in terms of minutes. Dagnalt's talked about Poku being that six-man type of player. He did get a start last season. I don't think he got the starting bid in any of these preseason games, even in the BOK Center. And then Mike Muscala, he can play the four or the five. You just kind of place him wherever. And he's going to get you three-point shots, which is big on a team like this one at center i just put favors because i would assume that'd be their starting guy he's talked about how um they want the position to be fluid so there's not going to be a set center for every single game which i think is pretty cool but i'll just put him there then you have robinson earl and isaiah Roby. so that's the starting five um i think the starting five is probably sga giddy dort bays and favors and then you have the entire bench a lot of young players with just a ton of of potential you got to look at Gideon SGA obviously as that first priority making sure that they worked out together look at Poku and Bays. hopefully Poku has that major spike Darius Baisley kind of had that up and down preseason but oh my goodness when he was on he was on he looked great against the Denver Nuggets and then Trey Mann too I mean, we saw, I think, two step-back threes go in for him. Not a lot of passing, a lot of shots inside uh, in Vegas, and then also in the preseason games as well. And then you got Jerome and Maladon. You also have Vic Kredge, who, like I said, kind of is that dark horse candidate. We'll probably see him with the OKC Blue to begin things, but he might be able to climb up and take minutes when you get to the actual games, um, NBA games. And then Wiggins, too, almost, because we saw him. He was one of the better guys for the preseason team, and he looks NBA ready to me. Paul Watson Jr., he's been around when it comes to NBA games. He'd fill in if injuries do arise, but that's the team you're looking at right now. In terms of projected wins, I'll also be talking about that a little bit later, but uh, most sites, and I'm talking every site really, have the Thunder ranked dead last in standings currently because they're young and because they do have some positional struggles particularly when you hone in at the five spot five spot should not be an issue with the OKC blue they had yurt seven they had Moses Brown last year both of them are gone But they did make some roster moves to kind of bolster up the five and bolster up the entire team, which was pretty good. So there were so many different moves that were made. That's why Rob Edwards was waived. So you could pick up guys like Jalen Horde and Melvin Frazier Jr. And then you had the second domino in DJ Wilson to where now you have two different spots. You can sign people on exhibit tens, wave them in like 12 hours, and then they're on the G League team and you're good to go. So when you check the team right now and who they have rights to, there's a total of nine different players. And I will say you're going to need to put some asterisks on this. This is just who they have rights to. So if they want to play G League basketball, the OKC Thunder get first dibs. And because of these deals, they probably are going to be playing for the OKC Blue. And the first one is Rob Edwards, because he was waived during the preseason. This is kind of your star. This is the guy who last season uh, really was one of the top dogs, and he's kind of the best remnant that you're going to have from that 2020-21 team. Jalen Horde is another one. Now, you got to keep in mind, for Horde's season last year, he wasn't a starter. He was playing behind Alexei Pokashevsky for most of the season. But he was a very good impact player. That's why he got the two-way contract. Did pretty well with that two-way contract. And I think he'd be deserving of a two-way contract right now. Same goes with Edwards. So you have two returning pieces who are very, very solid. You love Jalen Horde as a finisher on defense. He brings a little bit of versatility in terms of positions. Hope that three kind of forms though over the year. That is the reason that he's probably not on a two-way contract right now another guy who is back who was signed right after horde is melvin Fraser jr and i also talked about him and the double header pod this is one that's a bit more puzzling i think with edwards and horde it makes a bit more sense now do i think there are better opportunities based on their position elsewhere definitely but i think under grant gibbs they were utilized pretty well melvin Fraser jr He just didn't get uh, near as much time as I thought he would, and he went in as one of the guys I thought would be a star. I wasn't looking at Rob Edwards or Jalen Horde, to be honest. I was looking at Poku, I was looking at Ty Jerome, and I was looking at Melvin Frazier to make a major, major impact, because Melvin Frazier has been a star in the G League. Whenever he got drafted by the Orlando Magic, they stashed him. Even though they drafted him early second round, they didn't want to play him above guys like Jonathan Simmons. So he had to play with the Lakeland Magic. He was dropping like 18, 19, 20 points per game. And he was known as a defensive player prior to that point. So he was getting a lot of steals. He was looking like a two-way beast. And when he got waived by the Magic and when the Blue picked him up last season, I was stoked. I genuinely thought that when he got signed to his uh, Exhibit 10 last year, he'd be on the 15-man roster because he did check a lot of what... Presti has been looking for in terms of someone who can hit threes but also on the other end is just very proficient in guarding the two and the three they've got a lot of them now Paul Watson Jr is going to be that Aaron Wiggins is going to be that Um, but you get another one back in Melvin Frazier Jr and he really was never able to settle I would say with this team he played 12 out of the 15 games but he wasn't starting averaged a little bit over 20 minutes a game and just the point spread was not there I think that when he was playing with Lakeland he was more of that focal point he had the ball in his hands a lot uh, whereas with the blue last season he was more of someone who played in the shadows he was someone that kind of worked off of the other guys and he didn't get as many looks as probably he was accustomed to average 6.8 points per game had 3.4 rebounds 1.8 assists had 1.1 steals though, uh, which was kind of his strong suit coming out of Tulane, and then Wall with the Magic's development system as well. I really like his game. Uh, it just didn't really click at all with the blue last season, and I'm not going to hold out hope. I think that if he gets minutes, he will be very dominant. When you look at this team in totality though, I'm not entirely sure if he's going to get the reps, right? And he needs reps. I think that if you play him in a starting unit, Melvin Fraser is going to rise up to the occasion. He will be a solid defender, uh, but you just didn't really see a lot of those flashes. He shot 37% from three, which once again, kind of tees up with what I've talked about. He's meant to be a three and D guy and he can be a very unique one at that because he has a lengthy, lengthy wingspan. Forgot what it was. I think if you put me on the spot, I'd say like S- nah, I'm not going to say 7-2, I think that's pretty long for him, but I remember when I originally was doing stories on Melvin Frazier, he had an insane wingspan, and it leads to him looking like a free safety out there sometimes, to where... Even in the fast break, you have a wide open guy for a layup. Got to make that outlet pass. He'll just come out of nowhere. He'll make an Odell Beckham catch and take it the other way. And this is something you're going to find in his tape. This isn't something that I just imagined. No, this happens with Melvin Frazier. And then also in the half court, he can pick your pocket and then take it the other way. Uh, But like I said, it just was not there all that often because he was on the bench and he wasn't a primary uh scoring option with the team. But I do think he's very good. Same goes with Scotty Hobson. And I wasn't following the blue near as much as I am now when Scotty was on the team, but Scotty Hobson was one of the stars when you were looking at the OKC blue just a couple seasons ago. And before this, or I guess before he decided to sign this contract with the team again, He was playing overseas, was pretty solid, um, but he's making a new stint yet again. This is a six foot seven wing. You probably want to place him more at the small forward just based off of um, off of the height there. And you already are kind of loaded at the position, but he's just been a constant factor in the g-league played with the okc blue for two seasons in the first one averaged 17 points per game and two seasons ago dropped 18 points per game with three rebounds and 3.7 assists also shot 47 percent from three in that last year gotta think though only played six games so the sample is a little bit shaky i'd say he's probably going to be shooting 34 33 percent that's still very good gotta look at where he is on this depth chart though and for hobson i would think that he joined this team thinking it's a starting gig because he is very good even before playing with the blue he played in the g league in 2014 like he he's a bet uh and he was still great So maybe he wants to make a push like Antonius Cleveland did last season. Cleveland went in. He didn't get an NBA contract, but now he's in the NBL on a pretty solid deal. So we could be looking to kind of improve and get his name on the radar uh, through a stint with the OKC Blue again, because there is a bit of a void with Poku and Antonius Cleveland gone. Um, But yeah, look at him as another pretty diverse scoring option. And that gets you to four players that I really, really enjoy uh, watching. DJ Wilson's the guy that, you know, he got waived and that's when the second revolving door opened up. Now with Wilson, I'm not sure what his next path is and I don't think his intentions were to try out and then if he didn't make the team, he'd play with the OKC Blue. I think it was, look, the Thunder, they don't have that many fives. They don't have many scoring fives. If I can go in and prove myself, maybe I actually get one of those uh, 15-man roster spots, because he was pretty solid with the Houston Rockets last season. Now, I don't know what his aspirations are. We've seen vets uh, in the past, and even uh, one that we should probably know, decide to go to the G League. Like, Justin Jackson's going back to the Dallas Mavs, for example. He's going to play for the Texas Legends. In the case of DJ Wilson, I I don't know where his head is at, though. If he's going to play in the G League and if he doesn't want to go overseas, he will be playing for the Oklahoma City Blues. So we'll just wait and see in regards to him. If he's with the team, that's actually going to be very, very good because they do need centers and they didn't really have a stretch five. Uh, Yurt Seven turned into one, but they didn't have that like pure blood shooter to begin. And DJ Wilson would definitely be that, I think, with the G League Uh, not only would he be very good, but he could probably make a name for himself and get that push again to where a team might take a two-way contract and throw it out to him, just like a Justin Jackson was given last season. Moving beyond that, though, you have Olivier Saar, and he is very, very interesting. I didn't know who he was until the Thunder signed him, but I'm pretty infatuated by him as a player now. He's a seven-footer, very very springy. This is a guy that can just sneak in on fast breaks and do pin down blocks. He's not like Moses Brown where he's just pure lankiness, right? Where maybe he can go out on the fast break, but his arms and legs are just super thin, and he's just you know he's like a gazelle out there. I guess that's the best comparison I can give for Moses Brown. Sar is not like that. A little bit smaller at seven feet, um, a lot more built though. Uh, but yeah you still get that impact on the fast break to where on defense he can get into plays but also on offense if you're looking to make a dump off pass he probably will be in your peripheral to where you can dump it off and he can convert not much of a shooter more or less just a springy guy who's going to get you get you that high ball screen and get to the basket for an alley-oop play this is someone that I would probably think uh, I think he's going to get that starting five nod for the start of the season just because he kind of fits that role um that Moses Brown had last season and Moses Brown he's much more of a unique player right like we saw him even with the thunder just getting offensive rebound after offensive rebound and with Saar I don't know near as much but I will say I don't really expect that from him uh if it does happen though that would be insane I do really like him as a prospect, though. I think he's going to be someone who could get you those double-doubles on a consistent basis and could be uh, a decent enough solution to the major void that has been created because of Brown and Yurt7 finding their way out of Oklahoma City. Moving beyond that, though, you have Justin Jarowski, and this is a point guard. There's not really many point guards on this team right now, and they're going to fill it out with some names probably in the next coming week. There is a draft, I think, at the end of the month that should give them two to three picks to kind of get everything settled here. But with Justin, he's a six foot three point guard and he kind of plays a shooting guard too. He's more scoring oriented. He's not a guy who's looking to pass all the time, but he is a very, very good sharpshooter. Played four years of college almost was in the 50 40 90 club last year which is serious business he wasn't playing d1 but i'm still gonna put a lot of stock into that shot 46 percent overall 40 percent from three and 91 percent from the foul line so he can hit shots and he does have kind of that Ty jerome clip where he can extend the three-point line maybe like five feet back he'll hit some 30 footers if he's really feeling it average 21 five points per game last year as a senior, so I like him as a sneaky piece to maybe go off in that second unit. Who's going to be in that second unit? I'm not all that sure, um Xavier Simpson probably not one of them though I think he's going to be the starting point guard he was the starting point guard last year and I think he played better than Ty Jerome for the majority of the G League season he led the team in assists he's a very very smart passer I was kind of heartbroken when he played for the Lakers summer league team but he went right back to Oklahoma City he's someone who can get shots up now he's a flaky sharpshooter that's the big thing with him uh, he's not the fastest guy when it comes to penetration but He is very, very smart. Played at Michigan, pretty prestigious over there. And yeah, I mean, you look at someone who's going to make the right reads, whether it's a dump off or a kick out to the corner, you're going to put a lot of faith in Xavier Simpson. And he's not going to be going off for a ton of points, but... The passing game, it's a necessity with this roster. And Xavier Simpson is going to be able to do that in bunches. So this was a very good pickup. This is someone that you kind of needed to bring back. They were able to do that. I'd say the first priority was probably Rob. Second priority might have been Xavier Simpson because of the impact he made on this team. He's a very cool looking post hook. You don't see many guards do it. Xavier does it all the time. Reached into that bag multiple times in Orlando. Hopefully we get to see that with the oklahoma city blue and then the final guy that does have um rights associated with the thunder is mamadi daikite and he's not going to play if he is with the team he's probably just going to be rehabbing just like vit crutchy was last season but if he's back and if he's playing for the blue he's going to be that number one center he was a beast with the lakeland magic last season dropped 18 points a game had a double double there with rebounds too People couldn't really guard him. And then on defense, he's springy to where, yeah, he's six foot eight, but he was matching up very well against centers who were not seven feet. You know, being a seven footer in the G League was a rarity last season, and it kind of always is. So, Momody, he was a normal height for a center. So, that's going to give you kind of a rotation where you have Simpson in addition to Jarowski at point guard. Shooting guard, you have Wiggins and Edwards. I don't know what's going to happen with. Aaron Wiggins uh, and Paul Watson Jr. to be honest I think they're going to be bouncing up and down between the two to where Edwards gets a lot of starting nods but I don't know day one and it kind of sucks because if I was looking to put up points I'd probably put Rob Edwards above um, maybe not Aaron Wiggins but probably above Paul Watson Jr. anyways at the three that's where you get Paul Watson Melvin Fraser Jr. is also going to be there Scotty Hobson is someone that you got to keep in mind too. So they're just, they're absolutely loaded at the wing, just like they were last year. This is a very scary team. Uh, And then at power forward, you really only have Jalen Horde right now. And at center, you have Olivier Saar. Like I said, no clue what's going to happen to Daikite or DJ Wilson. I'd probably bank on them using their picks on bigs in this draft, just because they don't have many. And they're, production inside was the primary reason why they were one of the top teams in the league last season. Didn't even make the playoffs, but they started out seven and one just because the inside out game was straight up deadly. Got to keep in mind, even with this team, you might see players getting just put down into the G League roster for a couple games. I don't think it'd be happening with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I think Trey Mann might be more likely to if you have some instances with the Teo Tai Trey saga, where Trey man's just getting ousted, might give him a couple games. Let him just rock and roll, play his style of basketball with the blue, and then go back up. Biggest guy who probably will be with the blue the majority of the year is Vit Kredci, and he makes it really interesting because he's six foot eight. This is a player who I have thought highly of. Since the beginning, when he got drafted 37th, I didn't care about the torn ACL. I looked at his highlights, and his highlights do not reflect a second-round pick. This is a guy who, if he's fully recovered from this ACL injury, is going to bring you kind of the G League version of what we're seeing right now with someone like Giddy. And, you know, it's it's not going to be as crazy when it comes to passes, but he makes very cool passes when it comes to driving inside. Doesn't have the elite speed, doesn't have the elite handle, but he's able to get right to where he wants to finds his spots as a finisher he's just straight up ruthless i think even when you compare him to guys on the thunder roster you know he's probably one of the better attackers he's looking to get every ounce of contact to try to get a whistle up there and playing overseas it wasn't like he was getting to the foul line all that often that's just ingrained in him get the contact Shrug it off and get the basket, and he doesn't dunk all that often. Kind of like Giddy too, where he he's not that springy, but he can still get up there. Might get a sneaky posterizer that we're talking about in a couple of months. Three point shot, a bit of a question mark. I really love the release and everything that I've heard from training camp has said that you know Vit Krejci has been very very good. And you got to keep in mind he's been in the Thunder's camp for well over a year, almost a year, I guess it is in December, but. Yeah, I have high expectations for him. He might be on that 15-man roster. They had to bring him on, um, one of those standard ones, in order to keep him around, and it was a very good decision to do so. I think he's probably starting out with the blue, but he might find his way on the Thunder roster and make an impact. That's going to round it out for the blue, though. That's, what, 11, maybe even 12 guys if everyone I listed will be on the team they're gonna have that g-league draft like i said though i'll keep you guys posted on that and i'll probably get you guys updates on the games as well guys make sure to tell me how you would like the g-league games uh recorded i know last season i gave it every single day in addition to the thunder ones it kind of helped and it's pretty easy because there were only 15 games but their schedule is a lot bulkier this year so maybe like once a week I talk about the G League. That could be something. If You don't want to hear that content every single day because it is going to be spanning over multiple months, not just like one little hoop circuit in the middle of February, which was awesome, but, you know, we're not getting it a second time. Just let me know, though. You guys can tell me on my Twitter, or you can go to the pod's Twitter, at ThunderstickPod. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to wrap things up for today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.